Welcome everybody to our episode number two of our Gem Pursuit podcast. A very special guest this week, uh, Jimmy Weldon of Weldon Jewelers and Antique Dealers of Clarendon Street, uh, who also happens to be my dad. So uh, I will try to be as independent uh, and try conduct the interview in a, in a non-relation uh, fashion, but we'll have to see how that goes. So, um, so welcome again to our second episode, uh, and I hope you enjoy it. Jimmy, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Thank you, Matthew. Very well, thank you. Yeah, we're sitting out here in the garden. Uh, beautiful weather, and I think a really nice countryside. Are you a fan of the country yourself, or are you, would you consider yourself a city slicker? Moved to the country about 12 years ago and absolutely love it, and Gail loves it, the wife loves it. It's so quiet and peaceful, um, getting used to nature, learning the way of farmers learning all the things I didn't know when I was in the city uh, and tasting life as it is in the country and I thoroughly enjoy it, love it. Wouldn't be without it and wouldn't go back to city for anything. And growing up, did you grow up in the city or did you grow up in the country? Or No, I grew, grew up in Rathfarnham, the village of Rathfarnham. Um, at that time, it, I suppose it was, on the outskirts of Dublin. Um, quiet village it's now bypassed but um, it was a lovely environment to grow up in and um, we had a lovely garden we used to play in and that and um, th- th- all the characters in the village and lots of friends that we had in that area uh, and I know we're still friendly with lots of them you know so yeah no, we always had a, a taste for the country but later in life I became interested in horse riding with, you know, Gail introduced me to that and that uh, led us to the situation where finally we left Dublin and moved to County Wicklow and we love Wicklow. And when you were growing up, you say you've been, uh, you've always worked with antiques and jewellery and silver and things, or did you ever have a different job? No. I think I'd know this being no. my father, but yeah, I actually yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, no. Um, my first recollection of antiques was at the sale of Harry Naylor now that's a name that men, many may not know but Harry Naylor was the greatest antique dealer uh, one of the greatest in Dublin through the 20s 30s 40s and he died sometime in the early 50s and I remember going to his auction or maybe the aftermath of the auction and it was in I think Liffey Street or that area anyway just north of the Keys and in the early 50s maybe 53 4 something like that and uh, goods were being delivered and that you give a taste uh, whatever an actual auction the delivery of goods has another flavor to it different atmosphere and uh, but i didn't understand at that time how important a character harry Naylor was and, and and will have been all through the years but that's my first and then through the 50s would have viewed an odd auction and just took a slight interest in it as uh, my father um, had started a business in Clarendon Street in 1940 and he s- said at the beginning in, in the early part of the war business was very quiet and bad but in the latter part of the war business was very good it was improved dramatically um, so you never know how business will be you take the ups and the downs uh, but uh, he was a great judge of 
gemstones, one of the finest in Ireland. Uh, but um, one or two things led to a situation where my mother actually had to take over his business in 1957, I think it was. Um, and he was then in declining health thereafter and died in 64. So I started working in the shop in 1963, I think it was. At what age were you roughly then? So you would have been. God, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Young enough. Six, you, you, six, 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 13. Yeah, yeah about 16. 16. 16 oh, yeah. yeah. Different, I think, to today's environment. There's not many people go to work at that young age. And do, do you think, in the course of that time that you've been in the business, have you seen a lot of change in us? And I'll come back to something you mentioned interesting there about mm. the war, actually. But mm. it's in the early days, maybe, have you seen. Yes, Big changes are, are are not. Well, I suppose the, the the major change was the growth, exponential growth of auction houses. Uh, in the early sixties, late fifties, early sixties, the dealers were all powerful, if you like. Now the auction houses are all powerful, uh, and at the start of that was when they started charging a what they call a buyer's premium, uh, and then the dealers, rather than resist it. They eventually accepted it, and effectively that was the death knell of dealers' growth of dealers, if you like. Uh, and I, re I think that's a pity, and I think it's from the from the client's point of view, it's 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 bad, because auctions are totally different things to to buying from a an expert who has specialized knowledge, uh, and it's like it's I find it kind of amusing. Dealers obviously charge a profit; they have to make a living. Auction houses don't charge a profit, they charge a commission to those they sell for and they charge a premium to those they buy for, but they don't appear to charge a profit. Yes, it amounts to something like 40% of the value of the item. So clarity, I think tr truth and clarity in all transactions, uh, I think is important. Uh, it's important that people know exactly what's going on uh, in transactions. But in the, anyway, in the, the dealers were very powerful in the uh, 50s and 60s and you go to auctions like Allen and Townsend which was a general auction and it have all kinds of things being offered for sale and you always had a chance of getting something there good value or a bit of greater value because the stuff was in those days it's always coming from private sources but um, Harry, the, the, the wines were very 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 important shop in Dublin they were the biggest shop by far they had two, two premises side by side in Grafton Street uh, and they had a wealth of beautiful things, the very best of silver and jewellery, all antique stuff, no reproduction stuff. Whereabouts on Grafton Street were they based? Were they uh, just down from South Ann Street? Uh, I think there's on the corner now Burton's Jewellers used to be Wests, and then come back down one down Grafton Street, and they on the same side as that, and they had two conjoined buildings. And Harry Wine was the expert in there at that time. Then later on, Alec took over. Um, but Harry was a genuine expert. He was a highly knowledgeable man. Uh, great respect throughout the trade uh, for his knowledge. Um, and then when you think about Grafton Street, just a quick insight. I find it fascinating to, because obviously uh, you know, my generation recognise it as it, as it is kind of a high street with lots of international brands and things but mm. what, what was Grafton Street like uh, 40 years ago was it well, was it recognisable or was it uh, yeah different? it hasn't the, the, the buildings really haven't changed very much I don't know there's been much development on it 
the big difference is traffic uh, it's now I think close to traffic most of the time and though in the beginning there and when I started out there were traffic went both ways up Grafton Street and down Grafton Street wow. and there's a little small alleyway off in Johnson's Court which is a haven for many jewellers now and I remember driving down Johnson's Court in a Volkswagen at some stage or other um, but oh, another that I would have been a small car and I remember collecting some uh, pieces from an auction I, I think it was Adams and the Green actually at the time and I drove around the Stevens Green down Grafton Street turned into gosh where the, where the hotel is I can't remember the name of it street and I had forgotten I'd put dishes uh, entree dishes on top of the car and they fell off with a clatter as I turned around the <laughs> corner ground that street was oh, uh, yeah, memorable now and of course 64 66 64 65 um, West were still on the go the lower shop where River Island is now and that was a magnificent shop um, that's an enormous unit that yeah but it's uh, that was a beautiful shop uh, West and they had they had beautiful gear, but at that time they were in the decline. The the, the uh, Desmond West had unfortunately lost his life in a car accident in Limerick or someplace, and after that it only became a, a matter of time until they sold the building. The building was sold for two hundred and forty thousand, I think, from memory, in those days, uh, and thereafter went into clothing and stuff like that. And West moved up the street to a different premise, smaller premises. Yeah. But that was that was that was the best shop in in in, in Grafton. Weirs, of course, had always had a lovely shop and have still a lovely shop with a, the several floors and just beautiful display of retail finery. You know, mm. yeah, it's an enormous shop. Uh, mm. That's quite an, an amazing shop to to be an antique store because I think uh, these days most antique stores tend to be quite a lot smaller or a lot, uh, or maybe they're more digitally base and um i mean you would have worked in it before the internet before instagram or any of these apps how do you think they've impacted or what what would be your view of those i mean the goods obviously never change it's just the way they're presented do you think it's good for the business or is it is it transforming because a lot of these characters maybe mm. that you've seen you mentioned a few um like obviously, I think Jaime Danko would probably be another one that would be well known yeah, to some people. Yeah, Jaime was a great dealer. Um, how do you, how do you think the internet has impacted the business for someone who's seen it before it existed and now obviously it's an enormous side. Oh, well, to my view, it is, but maybe I, I'm. Not. I don't. I don't know. I, I suppose I'm at this stage of my career too advanced to, although I am planning to a bit more on the internet. Um, I think what matters in any in antiques in fine jewellery in anything what really matters is knowledge which leads to, uh, to helps develop taste and uh, it develops I suppose a love of whatever it is one is dealing and collecting or buying whatever it is you're doing buying and selling it knowledge you, you must accumulate knowledge and maybe dealers would have had intuitive knowledge good ones would have from the beginning that you'd sense something good in an auction or in a private house or whatever it is you'd sense something that's really rare um, and you you sometimes get a premonition would you believe before you go to an auction that you'll see something um, but anyway it, it, the important thing is to recognize it when you see it and there will always be differing views and quite often I've had some 
quite strong luck with things with, which other dealers or other judges have thought was wrong. And in fact, auction houses too would have thought it was wrong. And in fact, it was perfectly patently right. You, you would have to be a contrarian. Never go with the general flow of thoughts. Analyze your own thoughts and make your own decision. Always listen, of course. But your, what differentiates one person from another is their judgment, which is based, it must be based on truth and on perception of what you're seeing and examining. But never just go with the general opinion, because frequently the general opinion is wrong. And of these pieces that you've seen and kind of had a, I don't know if you had a premonition or if you, you reckoned it to be good, have you any, what would be a highlight of something that you re, someone else that didn't reckon or didn't like or a good find that you have? Is there any one yeah, that sticks out? You must have a few, yeah, obviously. A few no, either, but, yeah. but I, I remember Alan Townsend one time years ago there was a commonwealth wine taster mixed in amongst bits of modern silver and it was only small it weighed two ounces maybe something like that uh, and it was it was beautiful and it was clearly marked and but the early marks are so rare that you know they didn't recognize what what the, what, what the thing was and um I, I was kind of praying to buy that without anybody else recognizing and i think i bought it for 26 pounds or something like that at the time and we sold it afterwards in an important auction in England for about a thousand, which was at the time a good profit on it. Any time it was a good profit, I suppose. That was one. I bought a Limerick, um, what was it, a Limerick nutmeg grater, a very rare thing, extremely rare. I don't think I've ever seen another one, which I think is in the Limerick Museum now, in fact. And I bought that at an auction in a basement somewhere, which turned up and it, again it came very cheap nobody they, nobody had it, it, you need to know the markings and the, the correct markings of various people and these days you need to be able to differentiate the marks that are genuine and the marks that are fake because unfortunately because of the value of say certain types of early Irish silver they, some people do fake it and you need to be able to tell the difference I suppose it's those are the, the stories that stand out as the highlights usually obviously it's a, mo <laughs> a lot more uh, normalizing that but it's great to to hear well I had those... a recent, there was another just one other one recent if i may just mention yeah this one please, do, please do there was uh, recently a piece in an auction and it was a ecclesiastical piece of silver and there were conflict of views some of the you know good views were that the piece was wrong that the second part of the piece was wrong and had been replaced later and i looked at it very carefully and it's you have to just analyze an item and come to a rational and reasonable conclusion about it together with your instinct and uh, it was my judgment that it was perfectly right even though the surface had been damaged unfortunately people try to buff things up sometimes and clean them up but in, in this case um, it was my view that the piece was perfectly right and uh, i didn't manage to buy it because it fetched a, a considerable amount of money it fetched twenty thousand against an estimate of four thousand but um, that was an example of where you follow your own judgment and you hopefully you're right more times than not. Always, you're always can be fallible too and you can make a mistake, but at least it's an educated mistake. At the moment, so you, I men, you mentioned obviously, and this, uh, you'll see how this leads back to it, but as was growing up, you were part of a big family as well. Uh, as well as now you have a rather you have a decent sized family so 
were your brothers and sisters in the business as well? No. Or not? Uh, well, one was my elder brother, Dennis, uh, started doing repairs and he started manufacturing a small time. But he mainly, he, he mainly did repairs over the years. And he was very, very good with hands. He could always fix things. And he fixed, he ended up fixing a lot of jewellery items, repairing jewellery and silver. Uh, so he is in part of the business, but he's not in the retail and buying and selling. He doesn't buy and sell, you know. Um, my younger brother, Martin, joined me in the business for many years as well. And then he went out. Uh, they separated us from us and they went out on their own. Gay and Martin are doing very well in the Paris Court Centre. Um, and uh, of my own siblings, I think they're the, they're the only ones that became involved in it. Um, so Cathy did some days as well. Yeah, well, yeah. my sisters would have helped out at different times, yeah, certainly. Mm-hmm. And my brother-in-law, Donald, helped out as well. He worked for us for a long time too. Yeah. So, yeah, it was very much a family business, yeah. And how does that differ from having children in the business? Because as you were saying about the jewellery and the knowledge, you have to have knowledge. So, mm-hmm. and now you have children in the business. Do you see a role as you trying to transfer that knowledge? Or is the only way to get it just to by doing it? Hard to, hard to give you an answer to that. I think the only how do you get knowledge? I think you get knowledge by rigorously being truthful to yourself. And if you don't know the truth, finding it out and never ceasing until you find the truth. Um, if you, uh, if that is if that is how I think how you get knowledge, and. Knowledge is never cheaply acquired. You have to suffer through to get knowledge at different times. You have to make mistakes. I bought some fakes, oh, what was it, 20 odd years ago. Um, because of the value of Irish silver in London, there was a, became a small, very clever uh, little industry faking early Irish silver. And uh, I had to recall a few pieces. Uh, they were quite expensive pieces because it, I, I recognised that they were fake and I should have known it earlier, but I didn't. Anyway, we put a stop to it eventually when we found out what was going on. Um, but uh, yeah, you do, you, you'll make mistakes. And if you, when it's important for every person, it doesn't matter whether the person's a private individual or a dealer. You make a mistake, you take it on the chin, you say, I've made a mistake on that, and you get out of it as best you can, and you move forward and you learn. But you never forget that learning. That's how your the knowledge, I suppose, costs you pain at times. Yes. Yeah, I say it certainly does, and mm. it's um. I suppose the mistakes you probably learn much more off them, and in, in yeah, of course, in quick ways of course, and, and of course, things, life is never easy, but uh, but it's a fascinating business, the the study of gemstones, and the difference between say modern jewelry, and fine old jewelry, and to know the beauty that lies in antique jewels and why the understanding of why they are more beautiful and more valuable uh, generally another I'm not saying there aren't very some very nice modern pieces too but uh, if you acquire a taste for antique jewelry it's stunning and it leads you into the gemstones of long ago which potentially are by far the most valuable and the most beautiful. Uh, why? Because they're untreated. They are, they're 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 tr- they're polished. Okay, they are polished, but they're not. They haven't got the massive treatments that the modern jewelry has. So you know you're dealing in again more exact truth of the creation, uh, whereby your wonderful diamonds from say 
Galcandra mines, which have been exhausted for 140 years or something like that. The Kashmir sapphires, which again have been exhausted for something like that, uh, which have the most amazing color and texture to them. Um, but you know, the jewels should be beautiful, and they are beautiful. But the I suppose one's eye has to be trained or trained. Nobody else can train. You have to train yourself, I suppose, really, too. And have you a particular gemstone or period of jewellery that you think is particularly beautiful, particularly nice, that you like? I, I love all antique jewellery. I suppose the Lake Georgian jewellery is stunningly beautiful. Um, and the usage of colours, like pink, topaz and various colours like that. Uh, I love tourmaline jewellery. I love colour and lady. Uh, well, I was in Africa years ago and saw the, the women walking by the roadside sometimes and they wore vibrant colours and they were strikingly beautiful colours uh, and they were very beautiful ladies and the same thing is true, colours are so important lady. And I think in Ireland for many years our women have been too focused merely on diamonds and diamonds are very beautiful gemstones uh, and a highly important gemstone. But colour is so important as well. Uh, and that's coming through. The, the Irish buyers are beginning to realise that too. But colour is much more difficult to evaluate and appraise and, and compare. Uh, it's, it's, it's not as simple as diamonds. Not that diamonds are particularly simple, but uh, colour stones are much more mm. tricky in a way. I suppose diamonds, there's the four C's and there's diamond certificates and... I think most people buying, if they're buying a significant diamond, they probably do want a certificate with it. Uh, albeit it might not be the be all and end all that it is probably portrayed to be on online chat rooms or whatever, but colour stones, I don't think there's that necessity. I, I think you just have to trust the person you're buying them from. But yeah, yeah. Um, with coloured stones, uh, or sorry, with, with, diamond, with certificates and all, because there's another aspect, which I think the passage of time you would have seen it before they were really mainstream hmm. do you think that's had a big impact on the industry or for the better or for worse certification or? yeah yeah oh, certification is fine and it's it's very important but it's all dependent upon who writes the certificates and um, there are good certificates and bad certificates and you might if you get a bad stone with a bad certificate you might as well put the cert in the bin Um, it's useless and the diamond dealers in london say in new york they will only accept good certificates and they can tell the difference and you have to be able to read a certificate um, for example antique gemstones including the finest antique gemstones in the world would usually only get a fair or poor uh, cut grade which is absurd because they're beautiful beautiful their beauty is, beauty is intense so that they it's it's wrong of the certificators not to or to omit uh, fair grading of beautiful antique gemstones because the marketplace they're far more valuable than uh, similarly priced on the on the rap sheet well i will say one thing mm. on that very recently uh, in the last batch of certs that we got done mm. uh, in courtville we did notice that they didn't give cut grades on uh, old european cut stones yeah, well, that's, that's only very recently yeah, well, that's very good. very recently yeah well it was it was simply untrue what they were saying simply untrue so you know it, these things eventually the truth eventually comes out and permeates out you know 
But what what was that conversation like when someone came into you, say, in the 70s, looking for a diamond and looking for quality? What were the questions they asked you? Because they didn't talk about the four C's, I'm sure. Well, but, you're, you're, the collectors or the, the customers probably had less, they had more trust and they had less knowledge in, in, in some ways. And yet they had sufficient knowledge to know that you wouldn't you weren't going to sell them something that was bad. Uh, I mean, if a stone had spots and there's black specks or something like that or white flecks in it, they would, you know, you'd be aware and you'd tell them. But uh, it was more down to the jeweller telling you that this is a high grade stone. Uh, and this is before the D's, 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 and F's. Uh, but you know, you had there was other terms, wasn't there? Though there was like West Diamond, West, Westland, Westland, Westland yeah. yeah, yeah. Now they were more European. They were they weren't used so much in Ireland. Uh, the certification of stones, um, as I say, is good, but only 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 if the certificate is a good certificate yeah. otherwise it's it's misleading really to tell the truth yeah. so that's that part of knowledge shouldn't be overlooked no no well yeah knowing about the the labs and so on yeah, that is very important for people who are buying that it's not asserted not just the same everywhere there are different different opinions of it and, and different different standards yeah. used like um certain certificates now wouldn't be you would never buy a stone with on the basis of a of a bad cert because you know it would be completely misleading you know yes and then just brings me back to something you said earlier actually um about certs how they well certs have obviously been introduced in the the last you know 20 30 years especially and that's kind of been a, an adap adaptation in the business uh, and you mentioned that you know you're your grandfather or your father was in the 40s yeah uh, that the business wasn't great at the start of uh, the war but it got good towards the end yeah how would you compare the current COVID-19 crisis uh, obviously you weren't there for for that mm, but mm. do you think there's any similarities and how do you think it will affect the business going forward and not just specific to antiques but you know the the retail environment do you think it'll change or do you think it'll have no change I think the world always changes there are a myriad of views at the moment, and I'm just noticing that Warren Buffett is very careful about spending any money at the moment. Um, but he's missed opportunities to buy top class companies at for low prices. I think the world will always work. It'll take a little time to work, maybe, um, but we will adjust. There's nothing that the world hasn't survived, really, uh, much worse than the present pandemic. Got bad enough though it is. No, I think the world will work. I think if you're, say, for example, in the, in the area of antique jewellery, antique jewellery doesn't become any more plentiful by tragedies like that have gone on in the recent times and difficult times and, and difficult situations. Um, the market forces, I think, are strong for quality objects and quality uh, goods. Uh, and the scarcity was always there and the, the demand will be there as well. I'm optimistic. I'm much more. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but I'm optimistic that things will resume. We've had three months flat of very little business, very little transactions, buying or selling. There may be more sellers, maybe slightly more sellers, but I can't see that there'll be many more sellers because the goods are scarce and people, people who have lovely goods don't want to sell them anyway, unless they have to sell them, and that'll be very few, I'd say. So, you know, I, I think the market will work it out. I, I think within a year, 18 months, 
we'll be back to a new reality. And, uh, you know, if you can buy top grade assets or quality items at a good price, you'll never go wrong. That's, an, that's a, a phrase that you've told me before and it's one that resonates with me, I think, and with a, a lot of people. It's always, if you buy something really good uh, at the right price, you, you can't really go wrong. Is there any other, did you pick up any of those phrases from your father, do you think, that you would have mm. stuck with you, or your mother? No. Uh, gosh. I'd have to it's just interesting that. how phrases sometimes can transcend yeah. generations, you know, and it's... Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think so. I think it's just things I picked up from other people going along, um, and I always think it's great that the dealers. If somebody asks a question, and the dealer says he or she doesn't know. I think that's excellent. It's good, a very good sign. It means that the person is completely honest. Uh, I get the, the greatest dealers in the world have said that to me on occasions. I've had a few uh, dealings here and there, and they don't know. They don't know, and never be afraid to say I don't know. Because that's a fact. You don't know something, you know. But yeah, no. I, th I think quality and scarcity will always combine to provide a rock-solid market. I think, uh, and also the joy that a woman gets from having a piece of jewelry that she loves and that is itself beautiful. Uh, it's 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 one of the greatest businesses in the world, the jewelry business. And you you clearly have a passion for it. What do you see? yourself doing now in the next few years what's your focus going to be on in the business and you still have the hunger to go in oh God, all yeah. the time i'm going to i'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um work harder i'm going to learn more i'm going to head out into the world i'm 73 now i'm going to head out into the world with a new thirst for knowledge and for deals making deals and dealing with markets that's what i love that's what i the only bit of a gift that i might have maybe um I love buying and selling and I love the joy that you give to somebody when you find a beautiful jewel for that particular person uh, and you know it's right and you know it's good value and a good quality article that's uh, that has a great satisfaction it's great fun dealing with people in a shop too and you meet every sort of different people uh, in a shop you know it's a great um, venue for differing opinions and all sorts of different things and the customer is always right that's a phrase i think that's and i think that's true even if the customer is outrageously wrong something that they say will be right and you can focus on that <laughs> take it but the customer is always right and the customer is there to be served and to make happy and if there's a problem with something try and sort it to the best of one's ability customer is always right and the customer is always the customer yes yeah indeed and there i suppose as you said we're as antique dealers and and shopkeepers our job really i think uh is to find the right things and sell them at very good prices and that's how you offer the best service and do it in an enjoyable way mm. and the experience is good because i think there's a lot of uh for example i don't know if i mentioned that to you that i had a in antiques uh, directory of antique dealers in ireland from the 1970s and it was quite a large list mm. quite a big book and it's much smaller now but <laughs> it's not just limited to that it it's i suppose people have got more uh mainstream or sorry they've, they've probably uh 
because of globalization if you want to call it that maybe the, the they've kind of grouped together more and there's less individual traders but i think even in fashion and all sorts of other businesses that's probably a, a similar trend so um so yeah i think we've covered a lot there and um i think you've given some really good insights um and i think the next question as i said is going to be is when we get back to work and and hopefully there there might be some fresh goods coming onto the market and we can always try hunt them out again so it's an eternal business like that isn't it and uh, yeah, to find something is find something beautiful and unusual in sometimes a surprising context uh, that's that's the, i think part of the thing um it's ultimately service um it's said somewhere that the greatest amongst us shall be as a servant and the service has brings a great joy successful service and faithful service it's it, it brings great joy to us all and and we glow with this because jewelers generally tend to be very happy people i think mm. i think on that note we'll finish jimmy i'd like to thank you very much for giving us an insight into it we might do another one at some stage because i think we there's plenty more we could we could discuss but uh, in our beautiful sunshine here uh, in wicklow with the birds singing thank thank you again very much and uh, uh, hopefully we can we can book in for another episode soon so Thanks, thank, you. thank you